It's time for episode six of the Sound Guy Podcast. Podcast. I like that. That, that was cool. Out. Yeah, that's fine. Like old MCs from the eighties yeah, when right. finishing each other's sentence. I watched uh, just talking about that. I watched uh, Kids in the Hall. Oh yeah, I love and, that and the new kids. thing, the new season just came out, and one of the the skits is the guy sitting, and he only has one. It's like the po- it's after the apocalypse, and he's like in his bunker. And he's like acting like a DJ, and he only has this one song, and I can't remember what the song is. I've got a new brand. I've got a brand new pair of. Dum, 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 dum. I don't know what that song is, but and it's the only thing he has, and he's just sitting there looking like a blank stare off, and he's just like, <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway, go watch the show; it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, they they go. They go all out. They were yeah. awesome even back yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, but there's no censor on what they're doing now. Right on. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So we left off episode five of how loud your individual musicians actually are in these recordings or live gigs. So there's lots of arguments, and this is another one of those things where genre matters and size of venue matters and quality of equipment, blah, 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 blah. But for all of the conversations, we're going to talk about what we know, our life, our culture. That's small nightclubs, small churches, small 500 or less Mm -hmm. venues. Yep. Um, And then I'll compare them to what I have experienced in large scales. Um, I've I've never mixed an arena or anything like that out front other than like the graduations and stuff. Or have you done the amphitheater? I've done some, I've done some graduations at the pack and I've done some stuff at the hall but i was a monitor engineer in my big in my big show well, what's the you what's the the plex that's a pretty big place i wasn't right? an out i wasn't an engineer yet i was a performer back then oh that's what the story okay yeah, yeah. anyway i played anyway. there on weekends in my first like paid cover band that i fronted mm-hmm. which was the citizen well what you you did you worked with uh, vanilla Ice, right? Yes, but that was at the dive. That uh, so me and JJ and my buddy Guardo and uh, and uh, basically, I guess it was just the really us three. We were we ran a nightclub for the Navy mm-hmm. and the Air Force, mm-hmm. so it was Joint Base yeah, Charleston, yeah. which is in my hometown of Goose Creek. And um, Goose Creek, Goose Creek, and um, the weapon station is there. And they have a civilian side of their base where I grew up playing soccer, playing against their soccer league and things like that. And so I got a job in my, I guess, right at 30 years old with one of my buddies, Guardo, who was my guitar tech when I was in high school and moved on to being a house sound engineer with me in several clubs, rock clubs. Mm-hmm. And... um and then he became a truck driver because he got his CDL in the service. And th- and now he's like a cabinet maker. He's about to start making me an eight-string guitar, but we, we won't talk about it. Go to my uh, Instagram if you want to know that story. Anyway, Guardo talk got me Talking about guitars gig- also, real quick, another little quick tangent. Uh, Dwayne will be opening up a guitar shop in Goose Creek as well. Somerville. Somerville. Yeah, it's it, it, me and a couple of my buddies are, are getting ready to start putting up the final. Is there a name? Uh, I believe they've changed the LLC, but I'm not going to say one way or another until I've. Anyway, told. look out for it. Yeah, and it's it's not going to take us long. So, so 
Guardo and I and JJ all started off at the dive, really. I mean, I was already a sound guy, and so was Guardo, but that was the first venue where we had a budget where we could, and we were a part of the decision-making process across Mm -hmm. the board. So we were show producers, and we were stage managers, and we were first contact points, and we were all of it, kind of. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we got to do our first nationals. That's where I built my whole portfolio as a pro. Yeah. And nice, it was all analog gear, and I had, like, six mixes. I was a monitor guy, and Guardo was out front. And then when Guardo left, I went out front, and J.J. went on to doing monitors mm-hmm. there. And then when I left, J.J. took over at front of house. Um, and so we did a lot of major tours there, and Vanilla Ice was one of them. Um, Night Booking brought – Callie brought those – brought Vanilla Ice and several – major rock bands to that i think hailstorm's first show he brought them to the dive and we did them there and those sizes usually carry more most or all of their own stuff for their headliners Mm -hmm. and a lot of times we just end up mixing the opening bands for them right but we're the techs that i talked about in episode four as far as the engineers for the venue yeah um and so uh yeah i got to mix vanilla ice and he he came with a with a DJ and a live drummer, and um, I borrowed a drum kit, a studio kit from Eric Rickert, or maybe it was his live kit. His his live act was him, a DJ, and a live drummer. Yes, um, that, you know, I, I, that's the best thing when I when I get to do that for my hip hop shows and stuff like that. It's just like just having that drummer. That I dude, didn't realize he brought a drummer for. Yeah, and and that dude. So the way it was set up was the DJ was on upstage right on a, his own riser, and then the drummer was on upstage left on his own riser, and then they had this inflatable archway that was between the risers that Vanilla Ice would come out of, and uh, he came out in in a big oversized T-shirt with a gold medallion printed <laughs> on the T-shirt. Like the size of his shirt, the whole shirt was covered in one big gold chain with a big medallion. It was dope. And uh, uh, next month we'll have Vanilla Ice on yeah. the show. <laughs> and he was the most professional dude that I probably had ever dealt with up to that point. Like I hadn't worked with a slew of big acts, but I learned pretty quickly being in a in a smaller venue that the biggest jerks in our industry are on their way up or on their way down and i feel like that dude had been through so much of the industry mm-hmm. and he had been through when before the bigs were going platinum all the way through to when bigs were going diamond and all the way through napster and piracy and all of that and free free audio media like he's been through all of that and all of the personality types and people and levels that have developed in and out of that mostly relevant too but what i'm saying is after all of that he's just not a dick mm-hmm. he's just not a dick yeah. you would think that somebody that flipping huge and especially when he was on that reality show they made him look like a dick yeah the dude is not a dick well he's a cool ass regular ass cat that reality shows are reality shows. Right, but he's a cool ass regular ass cat in a in a production environment. He didn't he never once treated me like I was some B circuit mm-hmm. amateur. Mm-hmm. He even asked permission to go into my front of house booth and touch the sh- the gear. 
and like he hugged me on the way out like he's just a regular fucking guy you know what i mean like what just the hug it's like okay no it wasn't like that it was like you. no it wasn't no it wasn't okay all right it was a little fanboy yeah it was a little fanboy on my part but i waited until the sh until he was getting in his car like everybody was gone the staff was gone everybody was gone. uh the show you know was over. funny enough I but he signed autographs for like i swear to god an hour and a half two hours he signed autographs after the show like anyway my point is I don't even know what my point was. He's a nice guy. Well, but acts, you have to deal with the artists in the recording side and the live side. And one of the things that you'll get pissed off at a band for first is how loud they are in a small room. And that's where we left off in episode five. We talked about a, a, lot, a guitar amp that was so loud that you couldn't hear your PA. Mm -hmm. We talked about uh, bass players that, that you know, buy giant half stack bass amp so they can feel it so they enjoy their experience but nobody standing on the edge of the stage or at the bar is enjoying the your experience dude right, right. like have some respect for your audience because mm -hmm. that's who's paying your show yeah and there's cats that don't do that there's cats that don't give a shit about that kind of thing they they're gonna be as loud as they want to be and that's why they bought the amp. And they, uh -huh. I'll be damned if you're going to talk me out of it, guy. Yeah, I Sound know. Guy. I just feel like sometimes the best tone is that is that perfect level. That's what you're you're buying that nice amp to be able exactly. to turn it to the exact level that exactly and get that perfect tone. So that being said, that's where genre comes in. That's where the size of the venue uh -huh. comes in. That's uh -huh. where mic placement comes in. All of those things. We can't get into all of that in a thirty-minute show. That's like the rest of this yeah. series. I mean, I could we could do an easy one. Hardcore shows, most likely, you know, crank it up. No one's going to be mad. Let's talk about Devin. The crowd's not going to be mad. Julie will agree. Okay, we brought a great sound system into that long mm -hmm. ass tile ass room. Yep. And wish we'd have the line arrays, but and Asher's snare was so loud on stage because of how loud he hits it that we took it out of the mix. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even turned on. Yeah. Because he hit so hard. And there's guys like that in the cover band circuit too. Well, when somebody goes to see a death metal band, that's what they're he expecting. Mm -hmm. They're expecting a great sound system that's loud as fuck and the band to beat the shit out of it. Yeah. But when they go to a chicken shack to hear radio hits, yeah. the very last thing that they're looking for is a guy to hit rim shots on a six and a half inch aluminum fucking snare cranked mm -hmm. down to a marching snare tension. <laughs> so he feels like he's having fun. Yeah. That's what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. So that's where it starts with the drummer. It does. So there's your comparison. I mean, that's similarities and differences. That's yeah. what this two part episode five and, and six and recording similar. too that bleed that will happen when you're being excessively loud in the recording uh um studio you know you just you always got to be kind of aware of what the drummer is doing yep. most because again when we record the punk rock bands it doesn't matter as much you know we want that live raw raw sound so yep. it's it's you know put a little bit of compression what on we the use thing and it won't what i when i'm mixing the punk rock stuff for the show and i've actually got on my instagram at antiphonic i've got a cell phone video of me editing y'all's show mm -hmm. the grilled cheese 
at RTZ. Todd tracks it all through his Midas, and y'all give me the What's the waves. real name of the, the mixer? It, I don't, I, I believe it's the Venice D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it's an, it's an AD converter and a analog console. So instead of recording in his studio, like it's a studio where we're sitting in a control room with headphones on the band and isolated cabinets in the hallway and all that shit that we would do if we were recording an album for mm -hmm. a month mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. And you, me, and Todd do that the same way, too, because we're all punk and metal guys. Yeah. Um, uh, instead of doing it that way, we're doing it like a live concert venue. And he started um, live streaming that during COVID as well. Yeah. He turned the band away from the live room, the control room, and set it up like a venue. And it's big enough to be yeah. a fucking venue. Like, yeah. We could put an audience in that mm -hmm. room. Yeah, tighten up, tighten up the band a little bit more. Yeah, too. it would be yeah. a great house show. Yeah. Um, but... That's how he's got it set up. So his, the, his console is now in a front of house type possession mm -hmm. to the PA system. And it's also that mixer he has, or not the mixer, the snake actually splits. splits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And one goes to but the booth and one goes to the mixer. The last run of bands that we recorded were on small combo amps and the drummers weren't bashing. Mm -hmm. The first couple that we've already posted, yeah. Todd's bands, like the 33s and stuff, those guys go at it, yeah. and they're using half stacks, and mm -hmm. they've got it turned all the way up, and they're going super fast, and they're screaming at the top of their lungs. And if I edited all that out of the vocal mics, it would sound like dog shit. In fact, I think Corey had me redo one of them because he was like, no, I want all the talking and all the microphones to stay hot. Mm -hmm. And so what I use the, the multi-track channels for is sometimes I'll over-compress those channels and, and push them up so they're clearly attacking and you can hear everything but when you're watching it and listening to it you feel like you're standing in the room watching a live concert that's my goal yeah with the loud right. extreme like yes. the metal bands yeah. like devin's live stuff and the you know all that metal stuff that we like to do and that's where my heart lies so i've always fucked with it i am excited to listen to some of the new ones that i didn't i listened to on the phone but and i was like in the middle of a gig so i heard 30 seconds of it, and I was like, oh, okay, sounds good on the phone. Right. Um, and I am and I do little snippets. If I, if I come across some kind of interesting technique that I'm trying, um, I'll pop up the phone and just do a little five-minute video um, showing, kind of explaining why I approach it that way. So when you go to the live stuff, you hear it clearly in high def, but it's definitely not quantized and sound replaced and triggered and it's all of those things. They're in there, but they're not fixing anything. I do a little bit of voice correction um, or pitch correction for s some of the maybe like hip hop artists. Right. Um, and that's fashionable in production yeah. for those genres. Yes, right. Anyway. Exactly. So right. it feels like a live set, even if it is kind of produced. Right. And that's the different. That's the purpose mm -hmm. of multi-tracking it and doing it in post as opposed to live streaming. Yeah, because in a live streaming scenario, if it's not printing correctly or it's not broadcasting correctly, sometimes you don't have the oh any way to correct it. Well, and that's why we never have done the live stream. Just right. one because it's a lot of gear that you end up having to get to kind of like do it in a in a high production way. Right it, or or like a, I mean most people will watch your one camera stream, 
and it's the internet, they don't really care. But we wanted the switcher right. and like the 4K, and it'd be fucking. And that's rolling. the way JJ did it at the pack, and that's the way um, their system is amazing. And that's the way Cal did it up in uh, up in uh, Greenwood um, and um, Abbeville. They did two different series. Um, and they did in Abbeville. They even did like the LED wall behind us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And multiple camera angles. And I mean, it was a gorgeous, really old theater. I think Houdini performed there, and there's like a trap door that I stood on that Houdini escaped out of back in the day. I think as my side of the production stuff, I think I am gonna start like trying to invest in some of the LED screens. That would be sick. So those are all rentable too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the the difference. Well, I just want a base level one, you know, that I can rent out myself too. Sometimes. Right. So talking about the live streaming, as far as it, it's kind of recording live, right? Because once it's printed, and you go back and watch it, it's already printed. So JJ mixed. There was no audience. So JJ mixed from the wing in Monitor World. And he multi he did you know multiple mics, and then broadcast it all through an SSL two plus uh, AD converter. He used the wing at the pack. No, he had he used the pack's gear. Oh, okay. But he broadcasted it out of a separate laptop, um, and the audio came through. Oh, uh, okay. The audio came through. Yeah, and then there was like three or four people there doing the cameras, maybe more. Um, several camera operators, several still cameras. And then two or three people sitting at big screen TVs with all the switchers. I love the production. It's great. I love the Now, Abbeville with Cal Audio, they had the, uh, in, um, when Mary Tree went up there during COVID, they had Todd, the sound engineer, uh, downstairs. And he had like studio monitors in a room under the stage. So it was like legit mixing kind of room for him to broadcast from that he wasn't in the theater with us. He was downstairs in an isolated area. So they did the same thing with Tim in Abbeville because Todd was out front mixing for the audience. Tim was in a room off the wing where him and I actually could make eye contact and he had his own lines coming to the streaming and he had a separate room with the guy doing switcher and so it was even more elaborate because they were in two separate rooms. So the v- AV guys were in one room, the the streaming audio guy was in another room, and then the front of house guy was out front. The uh, church I work at has a nice little setup. It's, you know, I got my little mixer, which is the Midas 16, and and then there's like lights over here, but you know the lights stay the same there. They don't do any kind of crazy light production. But then there's two cameras. And that's run to like the switcher and all that, and then it's run to a computer that is also projecting, you know, the singing parts and yes. stuff like that. I just like the whole, you know, the the production stuff really is like super exciting. And and houses of worship have their own brands and their own preferences and their own databases and their own like forums and everything for yeah. how they yeah. handle. And and a lot of that is volunteer level. Um, production people Mm -hmm. so a lot of those guys have engineering degrees and they just mix on sunday mornings because they're interested in learning how it works and they want it to sound good for the worship band 
you I know, put myself through school. <laughs> and a lot, and you know, and then there's another tier of uh, mega churches where those kids intern up to a position of making a living at it, and then a lot of times those guys will convert that experience yeah, into day. a portfolio and go out into the secular world and get a production job at yep. a theater, yeah, and have a career. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of the guys, yeah, I mean, are doing, you know, they do some pretty cool stuff. Other than the church gig, and there's also there's also exclusively a, a house of worship industry of audio and video professionals. You can find YouTube videos that are exclusive to that industry, mm-hmm. and I mean that's how I learned a lot of the X thirty two stuff. And um, they go just as big and bigger on production because they get to build that stuff in house permanently. Yeah. And so they get to do really elaborate wiring systems and really elaborate switcher systems because they've got to broadcast to satellite buildings and satellite screens and like all they've got to worry about lag times from the front to the back and the side to the side. And some of that stuff's arena sized, you know, and it's permanently installed. And those companies just do that. They don't ever put a tour package together and send it out on 18 wheelers to be built and unbuilt every single day. You know what I mean? But they're all the same quality of equipment. And that's where the trade shows come in again. Because there's trade shows for the install world. There's trade shows for the home home theater world. There's trade shows for the live concert industry. There's trade shows for the, for the music production industry. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And the more technology runs that shit, the more thousands and tens of thousands of jobs and people and positions are created in those industries. Like the, it, it changes over fucking night. Uh-huh. You know what? I really like where this episode went. So half of the episode is talking about uh, how loud a band is in your venue. And then this other bit has been just about live streaming, live streaming and, and just the bigger production kind of like, absolutely. Um, it's been, been a good little combo word. <laughs> absolutely. Breaking the fourth wall a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so we can kind of start wrapping it up, uh, just touching on each of the subjects. Uh, stage volume matters depending on the genre. Yeah, we can, you know, here's another further level from the metal though, too. I did a bluegrass band and they used a one mic. And yeah. Like, like what a grand old Opry yeah, style. Yeah. Like step up for your solo. Mm-hmm. All of that. And so that's a big condenser mic. That's like a, like yep. a ribbon mic. Mm-hmm. It's super, super sensitive. Um, and and it might, picks up the whole room. Yeah. And, and you would probably use that in a studio more. Um, but, but, when it when they first started having public address, that was the only way to do it. Was like a podium mic style, and churches, you know, small churches, still have that. And you have to worry about the feedback. If yeah, you, condenser mics on stage are yeah. real, real sensitive and hot. Super. And, and, yeah. and then when you get several of those, like a lot of big tours, the overheads on the drum kit are condensers, mm-hmm. and the hi hat and and ride mics are condensers. Right. Some of those guys prefer to have condensers on the guitar amps because they want that tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole other generation of guys that go direct with everything through Kemper modeling, and yeah. they can make it sound like that ribbon mic on that old amp without ever bringing it out of their studio. And so there's, and then I like to poke fun at everybody because I'm a musician turned producer turned sound guy. And I say, 
I love your expensive ribbon mic and your expensive tube amp from the, the olden days that gets processed through a Cat5 cable before it comes out of any of my speakers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so there's where we'll end this episode. Yes. The uh, So <laughs> to wrap up a little bit too, you know, as a musician, if you're listening, just be aware of kind of what you're doing on stage. Um, I know you're trying to get that tone that you want, and you think sometimes it's about being loud, but you know, let us try to do our job a bit too, and make it sound like yeah. The, and for the, those guys, I'll use their stage ball volume as part of my my audio spectrum, and then I'll push vocals and things that I need to come through it mm-hmm. up more in the mixes to give it audible clarity. And then I'll just leave it there and let the vocals sit on top in the PA and let the stage volume be part of my yeah. I mean, in the audience's roof, experience, roof, I'm, I'm you have no choice. Well, yeah, I'm pushing up the kick a little bit. I'm doing the toms and the vocals and and the vocals. Yep. And you know, and the guitar just a little bit coming out the front just to blend a little. And to to, to this, on the same note with those musicians, remember that your monitor mix is not to hear a PA quality mix on stage. It's to hear the key. Mm-hmm. And hear your other guys to make sure that you guys are doing the same, same thing. thing. Yes, that's I, it. I know, and it's like I I, I want to be you know say like we can't. You guys all have different things coming out. You're gonna hear too much of this if you're a little bit over here. You're gonna hear a little bit of this if you're yep. over here. And if and you step to the left or the right or you walk out in front of it, it disappears, and mm-hmm. you're not you know. It's like some guys are like I can hear the f- mains, like I can hear the mains. Well, that's okay. And then some some church performers will take one of their in ears out so they can hear the mains because right. they learned in a church with the mains that loud. The place I've been has been very pleasant. I've done a lot of them. Yeah. Um. And and I did I did install for a long long time too, where I spent weekdays in churches when they're closed and there's nobody there. So, I have um I have experienced lots and lots and lots of things on the house of worship side of this audio industry that we love to hate and hate to love and love to love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, even if talking a little bit of crap, you know, at the same time, we love you. Anyway, that's the episode. <laughs> yeah, and same thing. So from the musician to the new sound guy or the experienced sound guy, like learn to communicate with each other and that you're on the same team and your ultimate goal is to entertain your audience without pissing off your staff. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we talked about it one time before, but... You can tell me as many times as you want to turn something up. If I can, I'll tell you I can't do it anymore. That's yep. as much as I can do, and I'm sorry. Yep. But let me know. Yep. All right. See you. Episode seven. Six. Oh, yeah. We'll see you at episode seven. Yeah. <laughs> right on.